Welcome to Dungeons & Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and today I'm talking about cheese dip in its many forms. If you'd like to support the podcast and fund new monsters, bonus episodes, recipes, and modules like the recently released free adventure Mansion of the Mad Mage, head on over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. Welcome! Take a seat anywhere. We'll be right with you. The Will of the Elder Brain, Hierarch of the Illithid, Master of the Mind Flayers. A portion of itself is in every one of these wretched rats. Their little glowing brains distinguish them, and alone they are spies. But if they were to swarm, it would spell doom for us all. However, as much power as the Elder Brain has, there's one thing its will cannot change. These rats just can't get enough of a finely aged wheel of Arabellan cheddar. Check the traps again and replace the bait. If those tentacle-faced monsters want a piece of us, they'll need to come here themselves. Yeah, I love cheese. It's one of my favorite snack foods. It's a great topping, and it's a very versatile uh, flavor profile. You can get sharp cheeses, soft cheeses, creamy cheeses, spicy cheeses, smoked cheeses. You can get a kind of cheese to complement almost any meal and almost any flavor type that you can imagine. And a lot of the world throughout the history (laughs) kind of agrees. Cheese is a very ancient form of food, and it's one of the uh, many kind of first ways to preserve certain types of food, uh, a way to take milk and culture it, and allow it to be stored and used as sustenance that can get you through hardships or through winters and things like that. Cheese is ancient, and it's varied, and it's because of its age, it's (laughs) not a pun not intended there, Um, it's one of those things that every culture has some connection with in some way or another. Uh, The geographic locations and the types of milk used vary from place to place uh, throughout the course of history, and in modern times, we're lucky that we can sample uh, many cheeses from all across the world through, you know, just visiting your local supermarkets. But today, I'm going to focus on what I believe should be at least occasional staple at any uh, basically non-vegan a D&D table uh, or dinner table, which is cheese dip. So my apologies to any vegan listeners out there. We may do a vegan episode soon. There's a lot of good things that can come from that as well. But today, we're focusing on cheese dip. Now, I personally have broken up this cheese dip episode into about five or six categories, about five or six. And I'm going to step through them in order of please stop doing this to advanced uh, techniques that even I myself have yet to try but really want to get into and I've done a lot of research on. So we'll get started on the very simplest, which somewhat breaks my heart. I know that this is a staple of sports game gatherings and Uh, family dinners or potlucks in many places, especially uh, here in America. It's it's kind of overdone, in my opinion, and a lot of you probably have some strong memories to this dip 
and I apologize if I offend you, but I've got to say, please stop with the Velveeta. Velveeta and Rotel mixed together in a crockpot does not a cheese dip make. It's barely a cheese to begin with, and it's also barely a dip. It ends up being usually too thick. Uh, it doesn't really have a lot going on with it, even if you add like some chili powder or a packet of taco spice. The amount of time that you are taking to make a Velveeta cheese dip, it, you, the same amount of time and effort is really all it takes to make just the simplest, most basic of regular real cheese dips that aren't using essentially, I, it's mostly plastic in my opinion. It tastes just terrible. I can't stand it. If you love it, God bless. More power to you. Have at it. But Velveeta is something that I just really can't get around. And so I would like to present that as the first and most basic dip. If uh, if you if it's all you have, I understand a crock pot, a long block of Velveeta, a can of Rotel or diced chilies, and a packet of taco seasoning is about as simple and easy as most people think they can get. And they're not entirely wrong. It is kind of hard to destroy a Velveeta cheese dip since it doesn't really have the same kinds of fat content and uh, liquid profiles that you'd get with dealing with actual cheeses. It can be difficult to really ruin it unless you absolutely blast the heat on high and turn it into, you know, a scorched <laughs> absolute mess. But I would like to take that and just immediately jump into what I consider the simplest of a quote-unquote real uh, cheese dip. Now, in these early dips, uh, there are some things that I want to say, which is that they're not going to hold very well. And what I mean by that is you're not going to be able to reheat them. So refrigerating, making these beforehand and refrigerating them and then reheating them is generally not advised. It can be done but you are probably going to want to reheat it with like a saucepan and pay very close attention to some of the problems that you can get, which we'll get into here in just a little bit. But if you, if you are thinking about making one of these, I recommend trying to think about your portion sizes, how many people, and when you would like to serve the cheese dip to give you a better idea of when to start cooking it and how much to make and to not overmake because leftovers just really aren't going to be very friendly with you. So that said, the very simplest cheese dip has really just three ingredients. Uh, the first ingredient can be either milk, half and half, or heavy cream, depending on how kind of thick and rich you want your cheese dip or depending on complementing certain types of cheeses. The second ingredient is, well, cheese. You gotta have cheese in a cheese dip, and generally for some of these we'll just kind of stick to like a, a cheddar, like a mild cheddar, because that's kind of the classic uh, nacho-esque cheese dip, right? And then the final ingredient is just about a tablespoon or two of cornstarch. Of course, the amounts are going to vary depending on how much you're making, but essentially what you do is if you have, say, maybe a cup of water, uh, or sorry, not water, but milk, if you're using heavy whipping cream, you may want to add a little bit of water, but if you're using half and half or milk, about a cup of that, 
uh, to that cup, you'd probably be using about a tablespoon or so of cornstarch. And when you're working with cornstarch and liquids, I highly recommend that you always start with the cornstarch in your measuring container first, or your mixing container, and then add your milk or cream or water to that when you're creating what's, this is essentially what is called a slurry. Because what happens is cornstarch is a very strange substance. It's such a fine powder. And if you've ever seen videos of like oobleck or slime or anything like that, depending on how much water you're adding, if you're wanting, adding just a very little bit of water to cornstarch, it gets a very strange semi-solid, semi-fluid consistency to it. And the more water you add, the more you can get it to kind of, it doesn't really dissolve, but it suspends itself. Now, because of these strange properties, if you take a cup of water and a, a scoop of cornstarch and you plop the cornstarch on top of the water, it'll float. And then if you try to mix it in, it'll clump and somewhat resist the water. The water tension just doesn't want to cooperate with the cornstarch and can be very, very difficult to mix in. However, if you start with the cornstarch already in the bottom of your container before you add your liquids, the liquids are able to completely cover the top of the cornstarch, and as you mix it, it breaks up that surface tension, it breaks up the, the powder and the ability for it to stick together as well, and you'll find that it can be mixed together with just a, a fork, really. You need something to kind of whisk it a little bit. You can use a spoon if you're using a very small amount and you're stirring consistently, and but I, I recommend at least something, but if you put it on top of the water, you're going to need a whisk, and you even still may end up with a lot of clumps. So always have your cornstarch in first, then add your liquids. Now, the other thing with that is that if you let it rest for really any amount of time, the cornstarch is going to start to kind of fall out of solution. It's going to fall out of that suspension and settle in the bottom of the glass or container or whatever. Now, it's pretty easy at this point to mix it back in because it's already kind of each little bit of cornstarch is fully surrounded by water, so it doesn't take much to mix it back up. But I always recommend mixing your concoction together even while you are pouring it out just to make sure that you're getting as much of that cornstarch out of the bottom of the container as it's trying to kind of constantly settle and pouring it into whatever dish you're trying to make. So we mix together our cornstarch and some milk or some half and half and get it into a pot. And again, because we're wanting to heat it, you're probably gonna wanna at least gently stir it uh, consistently. And this, as you bring up the heat on like a stove or a heating element. And this just again ensures that that cornstarch doesn't try to settle out. And there will be a moment where depending on, this is the most noticeable, if you have probably like maybe four to six tablespoons of cornstarch to a cup of water, if you just want to kind of experiment with this and understand what's happening. Uh, mix up just water and cornstarch and slowly heat it on the stove in a saucepan, stirring constantly, and there'll become a moment right about where the water temperature is getting very close to a boil when it's at a high simmer that the entire thing will very rapidly change texture into a very thick substance. And this is kind of uh, something that those of you with kids that got obsessed with slime phases, this is one of the easiest ways to make slime. Of course, let it cool down. Uh, it retains a lot of heat this way, so, you know, be safe with it. But a lot of slime recipes have this kind of 
uh, mixture in their instructions is kind of one of the most basic forms. But really what it is is a slurry. And slurry in various amounts is used to thicken all kinds of foods. You see this a lot in uh, Amer Asian American uh, dishes like uh, sweet and sour sauces that have a somewhat translucent and a thickened kind of feel to them. Some teriyakis may have it as well. And that's really just the cornstarch when it's used as a thickener is acts differently than something like a flour. It's just the way that it thickens uh, different types of liquids. But this, in our instance, is going to be really helpful because one of the other things that it does is it kind of absorbs moisture and it can lock onto fat really well. A lot of things like a flour or a roux has fat already built into it, and therefore there's not as much room to bond to the fat molecules of something like cheese. Cheese is a very—most cheeses, anyway, are very fatty. And so you want to make sure that the fat stays blended in and does not separate. Separation of fats will leave you with oil on top of your dish, and a cheese that is— kind of almost curdled looking it's kind of chunky or has a very rough texture to it and we want that glossy dip that has the fats already incorporated into it where there's not big spots of fat that are returned to the surface so we want something that's going to bond with that oil really well and a slurry or a cornstarch foundation does a great job of that so really, once you, uh, once you understand how the cornstarch and water work together, you'll be able to see how it works on a much uh, smaller or thinner scenario, like where we have one to two tablespoons of cornstarch for a cup to two cups of water. And of course, depending on the thickness and the type of cheese that you're going after, having just a little bit of this in here and getting that liquid close to a simmer. You may not even want it all the way there because the cheese probably has a slightly lower melting temperature than the kind of, I don't know what the technical term for it is, but the slurification of the cornstarch and the water when they really just hit that turning point where they become really thick. And that's okay because we don't need to bring it all the way up there to get that thickening power out of it. It's just a good way to see an example of it happening really fast. So really, at this point, if you have your cornstarch and your milk at low heat, you bring it up too close to a simmer, start adding your cheese. Now, for all of these dips, one thing that I would highly recommend to improve your cheese dips is do not use pre-shredded cheese. There's a very, very good reason for this, which is that in the bags, you'll a lot of times you'll notice there's kind of a dusty or whitish covering on the cheese. And depending on the type of cheese, this is mainly a an agent to keep the cheese from sticking to itself once it's been shredded. Now, sometimes this is, in fact, cornstarch, and that's okay and can be used, although you may end up with a thicker cheese than you thought you might. And it could also act weird because that cornstarch has not been fully submerged in water yet. But other times there are various different preservatives and uh, powdered additives. They're not dangerous, but they can interact with your cheese dips and make them much more difficult to work with. They can also pull out a lot of the water. They're kind of astringent, so you are going to then have to re-add additional water to it or rehydrate this cheese in some way. It's far, far easier to buy a block and shred it by hand. You, if you have a, a, like a KitchenAid mixer with a shredding attachment, great. If not, 
a, a cheese shredder is probably one of the close to the cheapest tools and one that has many more uses than just cheese, but getting a cheese grater or a four-sided grater or even a little handheld grater, great way to shred cheese. Uh, just don't get one that has really, really fine settings. I've seen a lot of households that have kitchen zesters or like a lemon zester and try to use it to shred cheese. And that's really just a lesson in frustration. That's a way to get really irritated at the tool not doing what you think it should. Get one with nice wide cutting edges on it and be careful not to shred your hands while you're doing it because nobody, nobody likes that. It's not a fun experience. Anyway, shred your cheese up, leave it on the side, and then slowly add it to the mixture. I generally don't try to add all of it at once because one of the things you're going to be watching for is that thickness and the consistency. Most of your thickness is going to come from adding cheese, not adding more cornstarch. The cornstarch just gives you that foundation and something to bond to. And if you do ever need to add more cornstarch, always mix it up with a few tablespoons of liquid first to make sure that it's kind of fully coated in liquid and is, is a nice thin consistency to avoid lumps. And that's really it. It's Although that may have been overly... Uh, you know, explained because we're going into, you know, how cheese, how the best way to tackle cheese and cornstarch. The real basis of it is some half and half, some cheese, some cornstarch, and low heat, constant stirring, and that's cheese dip. Now, again, as you're adding the cheese, you don't have to be like whipping it, but just keep the liquid moving because, again, we kind of spoke about cheese breaking, and that's one of the things that is the biggest kind of tripping point between your super basic Velveeta and almost any of these other dips is that cheese breaking is, is, it is heartbreaking, especially when you're close to the end or getting ready to serve and suddenly all this oil comes to the top of your pan. If you ever start seeing oil moving up to the surface, pull it off the heat completely immediately and try your best to, that's when the whisking starts because that's about the only way that you're going to save it if it doesn't continue to break from there. Because usually at that point, there's enough residual heat that is going to spread through the rest of the pan and through the rest of the cheese that there's a good chance that it's going to break. So I highly suggest learning this on small batches of cheese and you know getting a block of cheddar for a few dollars at the store, cutting it in half, starting there with maybe, you know, a half a cup of water and a teaspoon or two of cornstarch and just slowly working your way up and getting a feel for the amount of cheese and liquids that you want. Of course, there's tons of recipes on the internet. Anytime that you see a cornstarch recipe like this, it's usually milk, half and half heavy cream, maybe a little water and cheese, maybe a few spices. That's it. You can follow any of those and know that they're all going to basically be giving you the same recipe. So, Moving up from here, I would like to tackle the medium dip that I would call it. Uh, because cornstarch can, a cornstarch thickened base can have a kind of different consistency sometimes. If you want the really uh, smooth, kind of richer, if you're going for a thicker consistency, then instead of a slurry, you may move up to a flour and butter roux. Now, adding more fats to your dip is a good way of changing and improving the flavor profile and increasing kind of the silkiness of the cheese dip. However, it comes with increased danger. There becomes a fine, you're basically trying to walk that fine line between having 
a smooth, silky cheese dip, and a broken mess. I would highly recommend that if you're going to do a flour and butter roux, where you melt some butter in a pan and then add flour, you may even brown it a little bit until you have this kind of thick, floury paste. If you're going to work with roux, I highly recommend getting even a cheap uh, immersion blender or any of the like twin stick or or twin paddle blenders, uh, like a hand blender, because you need to really keep that oil and liquid moving to keep it. You're basically at this point building an immersion uh, rather than building a foundation and a fat bonded scenario. You're essentially going to be emulsifying the fats and the liquids together as you add your cheeses. So you'll want to chop your cheese up finer so that it melts faster and at a lower temperature. You don't have to expose it to as much heat. And you're going to be a, want to be a lot more careful about the speed at the cheese you're adding and the temperatures that you're getting to. You never really want to reach boiling. That's going to be too much. But you can get a much silkier, glossier dip this way. It's also going to be even less likely that this one will be something that will refrigerate well. But getting getting this kind of medium dip, it really will knock it out of the park. So we're going to move on to the more advanced dip, and then I'm going to circle back to some of my favorite ways and methods of building dips that are super easy and can go a lot of different directions. So the most advanced dips are when you get into something called gastronomy, which is a super fancy word that people that like to think themselves slightly chemists and slightly cooks like to kind of throw around. But really all it is is gastronomy generally deals with kind of getting a hold of uh, more base chemicals. A lot of those things that you read on the back of a package of food and don't really understand what they are or are difficult to pronounce, most of the time they aren't really anything terribly dangerous. They are just different types of ingredients that you can use to cooking that you're probably not always going to have lying around in the kitchen unless you really enjoy making uh, spherical water flavor balls or other more strange and exotic uh, cooking methods. And one ingredient that is actually pretty easy to get a hold of, you can get it at a lot of like Whole Foods or local food places that stock uh, more exotic kind of gastronomy things, as well as it's got a lot of various different names. So I generally try to look for just the chemical name because anything after that is rebranded, and that is sodium citrate. So sodium citrate is similar to, it's kind of in the same family as citric acid, uh, and that's, it's actually kind of a combination of like citric acid and a salt. It, It is a salt, it's a crystal, and the really, really cool thing about it is that it breaks down proteins. And it does so in a way that just so happens to work really well at essentially dissolving cheese. Now, it's not the only chemical that does this. There's a few that do it, uh, but sodium citrate is one of the ones that looks to me to be one of the most promising. I've not gotten too deep into gastronomy. I have so many hobbies and such a supply of estranged chemicals already that just adding more to it is one of those things that I, I just try to go slow with. And so while I've not yet experimented with this one, it does have the best promise of giving you a cheese that you can refrigerate and can reheat and reuse because really you just kind of shred your cheese and you mix up some of this powder with a little bit of water 
and you don't even need much heat, if any at all. The the powder itself is breaking down and breaking apart the protein, sorry, the protein chains that are holding the cheese together, and it is essentially liquefying it just right there on a chemical level, which is amazing because you don't risk really breaking the cheese, you don't have to mess with uh, the weird fat contents and things like that, and you can use it on a lot of different kinds of cheese that may be more difficult to work with uh, by doing something on the stovetop, you can do with sodium citrate and water. So if there's a little bit of mad scientist in you and you don't mind experimenting or you've already got some gastronomy stuff or if you search uh, sodium citrate and find one of the brand names that you just happen to already have in your cabinet, uh, look up gastronomy cheese dips because they are really, really fun and probably the simplest dips to make if you have the right uh, ingredients just kind of around. So one thing that I do really want to experiment with, and if any of you have experimented with it, please let me know. I would love to know about that. So finally, I'm going to get into one last thing, which is kind of my personal favorite dip in a pinch, which is the power, the amazing and wonderful power provided by cream cheese. Cream cheese is amazing stuff. It's already pretty soft, so it doesn't take much to melt. It works fine in a microwave. It works great on a stovetop, and you can mix so many things into it. And with just a couple of teaspoons or maybe a tablespoon of milk, uh, cut up a block or half a block of cream cheese and add just about anything to it, and you can make a phenomenal dip. Now, by itself, cream cheese, of course, you know, many people may argue, but it's probably not. You don't want just a cream cheese dip of just liquefied cream cheese, unless maybe you have a bagel party, some mini bagels with just some warm greased cheese. It might work. Uh, but me personally, I like to use it as a great base for a few other dips. And I'll give you my favorite one. There's a couple of recipes that I've posted uh, on Twitter before that have uh, cream cheese as kind of the main base. One of them is more of a dirt dessert style dip, and this one is more of a lunch, snack, dinner, or appetizer style dip, and that is buffalo chicken dip. So what you do is you get yourself, it's the only time that I really ever use canned chicken, but as gross as a lot of people think, not like not like spam, but just canned chunk chicken, drain the water off of it, or if you prefer, cook up some chicken and shred it. Um, but essentially, the canned chicken is is really really shreddable. You can get those thin kind of juicy strands of chicken, and they come out just perfect out of the can. My personal recipe, uh, you can get the larger ten ounce cans of chunk chicken. You drain it, dump it in a bowl, dump in a full block of uh, cream cheese cut into maybe quarters and then add a half a cup each or I'm sorry no a quarter cup each of your favorite buffalo sauce and your favorite ranch dressing and voila you you just microwave it in like one minute increments and you stir rapidly each time and after about three minutes or so once everything's heated up and all the cream cheese is melted you will have an instant buffalo chicken dip that is great with chips or pita bread. Uh, if you aren't a buffalo fan, we have taken a package of uh, pesto or, you know, a jar of pesto, add a few tablespoons of pesto to the mix instead of ranch and buffalo sauce, 
and then sprinkle in some feta or Parmesan cheese, and you've got a pesto chicken dip that you can serve on top of feta, or serve again with, a, with like a feta, and uh, do it on flatbreads or toasted breads. Super, super good, amazing. Any kind of cheesy chicken dip using a cream cheese base and whatever flavor agent that you want is just a prime way and it's so fast you're talking like a three to four minute especially because if you're using a canned chicken and you have some just available like buy a can and keep it on hand you can have an instant party dip within five minutes so even if the in-laws surprise you for a visit bam cheese dip keep them busy you know full mouths or happy mouths and you don't have to worry about any awkward conversations if everybody is enjoying cheese dip. So hopefully you have picked something up from one of these dips, and we will be coming back next week. There's so much more in store. I've got a, a, hopefully a few new guests lined up that are going to be coming by soon. I'm not going to announce any names just yet. I want to make sure that everything's been settled and recorded before those announcements come out. I also want to thank uh, those of you that have contributed through uh, Patreon. It is really, I know there's not a lot in uh, physical rewards or even digital rewards that are available just yet because it's a lot of those rewards kind of take money to make money sort of scenario. And so I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver, but I do have some really cool ideas for some things that I would love to do. I would love to uh, provide more written down recipes with some artwork to them. Uh, of course, uh, adventures or monsters and characters and NPCs with fully illustrated characters that I would love to commission. Uh, really, I just want to say that if you do donate through Patreon, that money is going to go right back into content, whether it be through commissioning artists from the community or working on uh, funding you know, pieces for the podcast platform itself. It's all going to go right back into it. So... Please check it out if you're interested. If not, word of mouth advertising is still king. So, you know, share the podcast with friends. Let other people know that you like listening to me. And uh, if you do like listening, think about sending a review up to your podcast platform of choice. Reviews do a lot to help get podcasts some visibility on platforms. So if you're listening at a place that allows you to review, then please Drop a few stars in there. Let people know. Let the algorithms know that this is worth picking up. It goes a long way. With all of that said, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. You can find me on Twitter at anddinners. And there are various other places that you could find me. The links for all of my social media accounts are in the card website that's down in the show notes. There are uh, a few people that have gotten a hold of me already, and shout out to them. Uh, you guys know who you are who have asked for specific types of episodes or specific types of content. I'm always willing to try to fulfill those requests and help you guys out. Congratulations to those of you who have just started getting into cooking and uh, role-playing, and I hope the best for you. I want to hear your stories. I want to hear uh, what worked, what didn't, what you learned, and what you want to know, so please feel free to reach out to me. I love talking with you guys. 
For everybody else out there, uh, if you are wanting more content, feel free to check out my other podcast. It's a long-form podcast co-hosted by myself and good friend Walker Near about video games. It's called Pick Up Your Sticks, and it's about why gaming matters. It's not just news and reviews. We really try to get to the heart of how gaming impacts us and what games do to change our outlooks on the world or society itself. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.